friends. This is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place for you to learn more about Him and to grow in your relationship with Him. If you find the podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement, and you will be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Equippers International Podcast. We're studying the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 3. Today, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 20. Let me go ahead and read those verses to set the tone for this episode, and then we'll move through these verses and make some interpretation and application. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law is the knowledge of sin." Well, there's a few very important themes we want to pick up in this episode, but let's first talk on a general level, remembering always the conversation that Paul is in the middle of. He's been in this long discussion, which started back in chapter one, where he began to lay out his case. We've alluded to it several times. It's as though we're in a courtroom and Paul is holding all of humanity in a court session where he's proving that all humanity humanity stands guilty before God, and he's going to comment specifically about the Gentiles and about the Jews. And we've moved through this discussion methodically with Paul, trying to understand exactly the case he's making. Now, the one hand, on the Gentiles, they stand guilty before God in a general level because they've committed idolatry. They've turned away from God. They've chosen to trade the truth for a lie, and God has given them over to their own sinful nature, to their own depraved mind, and their own behaviors. And we saw that in chapter 1. But then he turns around in chapter 2 and he says to the Jew, don't judge these people that are like this because in the way that you judge, you practice the very same things. And then Paul's going to launch out in a long discussion in chapter 2 that we've moved through carefully and we've talked about how Paul is showing that the Jews don't have any grounds on which to claim a higher standing before God over and against the Gentiles. And he's made that argument in a few different contexts. So in today's passage, Paul is basically concluding this whole discussion. And we saw in the previous couple episodes at the beginning of chapter three that Paul anticipated this response on behalf of the Jews, that they would say, well, what advantage does the Jew have? And Paul argued that they actually had every advantage 
bondage, but they didn't capitalize on the covenant that God called them into. Instead, they proved unfaithful to God in that covenant. And so in verse 9, he asked another question, anticipating what people's response would be, specifically the Jews. And he says, what then? Are we worse than they? Now, it's interesting. Some translations say, are we better than they? Other translations say, are we worse than they? I would tend to go with the worst because Paul has put the Jews under pretty strict judgment in the last couple of paragraphs. And so the Jews' response would be, my gosh, Paul, you're coming down pretty hard on us. Are we actually worse off than the Gentiles? And Paul says, no, not at all. The whole point is that we've already shown and we've already brought charge against both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. Now, I want to comment on this phrase, under sin. This is really the first time that Paul takes up this idea of sin in a way that he's really going to expound upon later in the book. He's talking about the power of sin here. He's not talking about that we've made a charge that all people have sin in their lives, and so they're kind of living under this weight of their own sinful actions. There may be a little bit of that meaning in what Paul's saying, but the greater meaning what Paul's saying, and the biggest issue facing all of humanity, Gentile and Jew, is that they all are under the power of sin. And because of being in this condition of being under the power of sin, they all are helpless. They don't have any case to stand on because the power of sin has held them in bondage and caused them to step out and to practice sinful actions, sinful deeds. So really the issue for Paul, in his whole understanding of the gospel, is not the individual need for forgiveness for the sins they've committed. While that is very important, the greater issue is salvation from the power of sin. And this is exactly what Paul says back in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We saw Paul's general definition of the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation. And we talked about that idea of salvation, that it's something to be saved from. What is it that we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from a power that is greater than us. And we're really going to unpack this when Paul starts looking at sin on a much deeper level in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6. But right now, Paul's introducing this idea of being under sin. Basically, it's the idea that sin is holding all of humanity in a place of captivity, in a place where they stand guilty before God, deserving his judgment. And then what Paul does in verses 10 through 18 is he strings together this long quotation of Old Testament scriptures doing exactly what he would do as a very astute Pharisee and a Jew who understands the Old Testament scripture. He's going to argue from a position of the law for those who want to claim the law in their defense. And he says, look at what the law actually testifies about you. The law actually testifies that there is none righteous. There is none that fear God. And as a result, that they have turned from God and into their wicked ways and to Deception is in their mouth. He uses these powerful verses that talk about the throat being an open grave and the poison of vipers being on their lips. And then also that they turn to bloodshed and destruction and in misery that's in their path and the path of peace they've not known. So the evil of their hearts is 
is manifesting through the way they speak and the way they act. And Paul says this as an indictment upon those who want to turn to the law as their defense and say, well, we've kept the works of the law. And this is going to bring Paul to his great conclusion in verse 19 and 20. And he says that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, who are in the law, so that every mouth may be closed and the world may be accountable to God. Now, verse 20 is very important because it's really going to begin to frame for the first time Paul's understanding of the law, which is going to become as a very big surprise to the Jews. He says that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, what is Paul saying? Now, there are some people that interpret Paul's context as being in the first century that the Jews were making every effort to abide by every jot and tittle of the law to make sure that they didn't fail in any capacity, thinking that in the perfection of their performance of the law, they would be justified before God. For sure, Paul understood that there was this element of performance in the Jew's mind. Now, he uses this phrase, the works of the law. It's a very unique phrase, and Paul's going to take it up in different passages, especially in Galatians. And we don't have enough time to take the sidebar and go to a whole interpretation of the book of Galatians. So what is Paul's understanding of this notion of the works of the law? Well, he's probably referring to the notion that the Jews' understanding was that provided in the law was their ability to recognize their sin and to offer sacrifices for their sin and to experience forgiveness and to experience atonement. And so Paul's saying that there are Jews that actually do the right thing in following what the law provides for them to be in a righteous standing before God. Paul himself makes this comment in Philippians chapter 3. He says, according to the law, I was found blameless. What does that mean that Paul was upholding every single law in the Torah? Probably not. It means that he was blamelessly following the path that God had set out for devout Jews so that they could experience right standing before him by admitting their guilt, recognizing their sin, bringing the proper sacrifices, observing the holy days and circumcision. And these things would hold a Jew in right standing before God on a covenantal level. But Paul makes it very clear in this verse that that was not the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was to bring a knowledge and understanding of sin. Yes, you could abide by all the necessary things that God had made provision for in the law and even be found blameless in that position. But in God's courtroom, calling that work of the law that you had abided by as your witness was not sufficient because there is a more deeper and permanent issue at play here in Paul in the understanding of the gospel, and that is the condition of sin. It's not about covenantal standing. It's not about the ability to perform good and to do all that God requires. It's about the fact that at the very center and the very heart of man is this power of sin that causes him to fall into sinful behavior. And in that, there is no provision in the law for man to be freed from that. 
We looked at that in detail in our study of the book of Hebrews, and you'd have to go back and listen to that and understand what the writer of Hebrews laid out so beautifully, is that there was no provision in the law for sin to be removed from the heart of the worshiper. And this is exactly what the point of the gospel is, is that it provides this point of salvation where the righteousness of God can be revealed to those who accept his provision by faith. And remember, God's provision is always on these two levels in Paul's discussion. One, in the natural level, is progressing along the lines of Israel. God is going to be true to his covenant. And part of his faithfulness to his covenant to Israel is that there would be judgment, that he would have to uphold his end of the covenant by standing in judgment against their disobedience. But all Also, he was going to be their deliverer. He was going to come as the deliverer that would bring salvation to them so that ultimately they could fulfill their covenant responsibility to be a light and a witness to all the nations. And God is going to fulfill that promise on a natural level. And God does this through Jesus Christ. But remember, on another level, it's not just about the Jews. It's about all of humanity that God is busy providing for, because that was actually God's provision through the covenant of Israel, that they would be a blessing to the Gentiles, to all the nations. So God has not forgotten his promise, and the ultimate fulfillment of that is that all the world would be blessed through Abraham and through his seed who would become Jesus Christ. So this whole story of Israel in between that promise and the fulfillment of it is a natural progression of everything that happened as God was moving toward this ultimate fulfillment. Now, as I've sat with the book of Romans over many years, something happens in verse 21 of chapter 3. I get so excited every time I read this book. To me, it is everything that Paul has been building toward. Remember, at the beginning of the book in chapter 1, he says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God, who has every grounds upon which to judge Gentile and Jew, all of humanity, does something very unexpected. It's this picture of the courtroom, and the verdict has come down that every single person is under sin. There is no argument that can be brought. And then God shows up on the scene as a righteous and compassionate and merciful judge. And that's what we're going to look at in the next few episodes. It's the beauty of the gospel. So in this episode, I just want to leave you with an expectation of the beauty of the good news of God that's going to break forth on us in the next episodes because it is the power of the gospel to see what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more. Mm -hmm.